Hi, I'm Erica Ketzman. Welcome to season four of Left to Our Own Devices, the show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connected. Today, my guest is Megan Duggan. When Megan was just 10 years old, she announced to anyone who would listen that she was going to be an Olympic hockey player and captain the team to gold. Well, she did just that. Megan spent 14 years with Team USA, where she competed in three Olympic Games, 2010, 2014, and 2018. She won three Olympic medals, including the first Olympic gold in 20 years, an achievement that occurred under her leadership as captain. Megan graduated from the University of Wisconsin, where she received a BS in biology, won three NCAA championships, and led the nation in scoring during her senior year. Off the ice, Megan is committed to promoting equality in the game and creating opportunities for the next generation. In 2017, she led a successful strike by the U.S. national team versus USA Hockey to achieve gender-equitable treatment for the team in advance of the 2017 World Championship. In her current role in player development with the New Jersey Devils, Megan advises the NHL on DNI initiatives. Off off the ice, Megan recently got married, has two young children, and became the president of the Women's Sports Foundation. Given how much she has going on, I am thrilled that she made time to be with us here today. Megan, how are you? So good to see you. Yes, good to see you too, as always. We've uh, gotten to see each other recently too, which is fun. That was such a wonderful trip to Aspen. I know for those who don't know, or maybe you, you might know if you see it, if you follow my Instagram, which you should, which is just my name, I co-hosted a women's retreat for the U.S. Olympic Foundation. And Megan was one of the three athletes that came to be with us and really how this whole idea for you being on the podcast came about. Really excited. And you told a story that I wanted to share with the audience when we were together. You've always set big goals for yourself. And it sounds like you set a really big one for yourself when you were just 10 years old. So tell us about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I believe in goal setting so wholeheartedly and it's, it's one of those things that has really, when I committed to it at such a young age with this story that I'll share with you, it's dictated my life and it's continued to, it's continued to help, you know, goal setting has continued to help lead me in the right direction in so many different mm-hmm. areas of my life. And started when I was uh, was about 10 or 11 years old. And I, you know, gotten into hockey at a young age. I was three the first time I put skates on and loved it right from the very beginning. Wanted to, wanted to learn to skate so quickly, wanted to graduate to, you know, stick and puck and playing in games. And Mm -hmm. it was really popular in my area. And, but I never saw any, any women, right. I never saw any girls playing. This was in the, you know, in the nineties and hockey wasn't really popular amongst girls and women, which I didn't mind at the time, but you know, I idolized, I idolized the Boston Bruins and, and NHL players. I thought that's what I would grow up to be. And it wasn't until the 98 Olympics, where women's ice hockey was in the Olympics for the first time, which talk about, you know, an incredible milestone for our sport. And it was in Nagano, Japan, the US team went over and won gold after Mm -hmm. being the underdogs to Team Canada for such a long time. And I can just remember, you know, where I was following that tournament and being this young 10 year old wide eyed kid, idolizing these women 
and wanting to be them. And, you know, shortly after the tournament, I had the opportunity to meet one of the women that played on the team. She came back and spoke at this event that I went to with my dad and she put her gold medal around my neck and she, you know, let me wear a jersey. And from that moment forward, I was like, this is it. I was 10 years old and I was like, this is what I am doing. I will go to the Olympics someday and I will captain Team USA to a gold medal. And I kid you not, I was, you know, 10, 11 years old and I built my life around that dream. It dictated, Uh you know, the who, when, where, what, why of my life moving forward and just kind of continue to build on itself from there. Wow. Really is. I sort of get goosebumps when you, when you tell that story. I mean, you not only said you wanted to go to the Olympics, but you said, I'm going to be the captain, which you were. People thought I was crazy. Right. And we're (laughs) going to win the gold, which you did, which is just amazing. So that brings me to sort of my, my next question, which is, you know, working, you know, I'm in the human capital space and, and help companies how to improve their performance through people and help people find jobs and just looking at the, the human side of business. And when I think about someone like you, starting at age 10, who set this goal for herself, and then, and then you retire, you know, the job that you had for all those years, you know, as bionic of a woman you might be, right? We can't do that forever. And so, you know, what went through your mind when you were retiring and how did you think about taking many of the skills that you gained as a leader, as a captain, as a teammate, and now transitioning those into, into the workforce? Such a great question. And love the way you phrased it, because it, it was a like monumental transitional phase in my life. And it was incredibly challenging. Retiring from playing hockey my whole life, committing every single day, 365 days a year to that goal. And then not having that anymore. It was tough. And, you know, you read a lot about, or you, you know, watch documentaries on athlete transition away from sport and how challenging it is. Mm -hmm. And I can't speak to that, you know, more truthfully. It is, and I don't want to shy away from it. It was such a tough period for me and figuring out who I was now that hockey was gone and and what I was going to do. And, and, you know, I was, I'm a pretty like confident woman. You know, I've, I've learned that through different experiences I've had, but I had to like, I had to dig deep. I had to go through some hard time. I'd look myself in the mirror and figure out, okay, hockey's gone, but like, you're a mom, you have all these qualities that you've learned through playing, you know, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, Erica, leadership, performance under pressure, work ethic, the ability to strategize and solve problems and, you know, work as a team I had innately in me and I had to find ways to bring them out and figure out how I was going to use those things and add value somewhere else. And that's what I wanted to do. You know, I'm, I'm passionate. I want to be involved in, you know, different organizations or different opportunities and, you know, use my voice to solve problems and to make change and to lead, right? And to be in these different settings. So it was certainly a, um, a transition period. I had a lot of great mentors in my life that I asked questions to and kind of put myself out there and was really honest about where I was at. And then, you know, I looked internally, okay, what, what do you want? You know, what are your skills? Explain them to someone. How are you going to go after it? How are you going to use your network and those types of things? So it was a, it was a really hard transition, but some one that I feel was really transformational for me in kind of just my life and helping me get to the next step and learning a lot about myself. And, and yeah, I was able to join the New Jersey Devils in the National Hockey League and make an impact in hockey operations there in a really male dominated industry. And so 
So I'm really excited about where it led me, but it wasn't without kind of hard work and, and looking myself in the mirror and, and going through some, you know, some tough months too. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm just trying to picture, right. Your, your job before the devils, you know, you're a professional, you know, you're a hockey player and you're in your hockey uniform and your helmet and all these things. And I'm trying to picture you on that first day, you know, walking into an office, right. Walking <laughs> into, and yes, it's hockey, but you're still walking into an office. So tell us, you know, so what do you, what does one do in hockey operations for the devils? Yeah. Yeah. So my role, so I work, I'm a manager of player development. My main focus day in and day out, kind of a day in the life is really assisting and strategizing and coming up with plans on how to help our kind of you know, recent draft picks or players we acquired, as well as our young pros and young prospects, helping them in their life cycle to become full-time NHL players, right? So there's a lot of components that go into, you know, a player that's drafted when they're 18 years old, a young kid, and helping them in the next, you know, three, four, five years to become a multi-million dollar player, you know, or number one franchise player on your NHL team. So whether it's on the ice, off the ice, mentally, physically, all the different components that go into building elite professional athletes, that's kind of my job and focusing on, you know, a group of guys that are in our organization. And I work with an awesome group of staff on the development side and, you know, have some great mentors in the, on the Devils and, I'm learning so much every day and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get into the National Hockey League. I wanted to grow and learn in the space, but I'm also being given opportunities to add value right away, to mm-hmm. use my hockey mind and my background and my experience with, you know, leading teams and playing at an elite level for so long. I'm being given opportunities to use that to add value to our organization and and I love it. It's uh, I've only been right. doing it a year, but it's very exciting and, you know, it's engaging and empowering for me every day. Wow. You know, I think about what's gone on over the last couple of years in this pandemic and you're working with all of these really young kids, right, to begin to manage this aspect of, of their lives. I mean, what have been, what do you think the impact has been? I mean, what are, what are some of the challenges that, that these young kids have had to deal with? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic, obviously, as everyone knows, we don't even have to talk about it, has brought so many different challenges to so many different organizations and areas. And in the hockey world, you know, it was it was games canceled and training opportunities taken away and rinks closed and and those types of things. So when you think about you know, as a young player that's trying to become a pro, you know, you don't, you're not yet at that level where you have the unlimited funds and resources and ability to just, you know, find ice everywhere. So, so that was certainly a challenge for some of these young players, you know, rinks being closed or games being canceled, you know, Mm -hmm. COVID goes through an entire team. And now, you know, you can't train for two weeks, right. And, and, you know, some athletes don't even take two days off in a row, let alone, you know, two weeks and having to make adjustments. But we've seen it. We saw it in, it was very public with all of the prep for the Olympics and stuff like that, right? You saw back in Tokyo, you saw athletes preparing for the Olympics inside their apartments, right? Making up all these different like makeshift ways to, to train. And so I think it, you know, it, it brought out the best and the most creative side of a lot of people, but, but sure. I mean, sports were, were hit just as hard as everything else. And so I think that's, what's been great, you know, as the world's, 
uh, tries to get back to normal a little bit here. You know, it's been exciting for me on the hockey side to be in rinks, watching live games, interacting with players, you know, because that's what I love so much. And, and that was taken away from, you know, our organization and many organizations and many players throughout the pandemic. So does, from a cultural perspective, you know, as you know, I wrote a book last year on rituals and you've, you know, you could see what you're thinking is here. You've been here a year. It's not, not that long, but see, see what jumps to the top of your mind on this question which is, you know, do devils, the organization or the hockey team specifically have any rituals? And the question that I ask people when they think about organizational rituals is, you know, when do people feel most <laughs> devilish, you know, most <laughs> connected to the New Jersey devils? You know, is there something that happens before the game, after the game, something with the staff? Just so curious. I would say there's there's so many people that work in the organization and do such great work and are important in in so many different ways. Whether it's management and front office staff, whether it's coaches, players, trainers, equipment staff, you know, office staff, admins, marketing, like everyone, you know, at the end of the day, wants the team to win and wants the business to be successful, right? But everyone plays a role. And I love little things, you know, when we were in Aspen, we talked about players' pregame rituals and the different things that that players do, right, to get themselves prepared, whether it's their warm-up routine or their handshakes or playing soccer or, or, you know, drinking a certain amount of water bottles. Like, I love those types of things in sports, and they're unique to every player. But I also love, you know, when I think about like some of the New Jersey Devil staff members, you know, the the locker room staff, which is like the equipment staff mm-hmm. members and the trainers, like on game days, once all the players are have kind of like come in in the morning and left and are home prepping for the game, the guys like they play, they, they scrimmage each other. These, these, these guys that, you know, they, that's how they prepare for game day and doing their job is they jump out and they play a little, you know, a scrimmage against each other in the afternoon, which is, it's just so fun. And, and, you know, they've asked me to jump in a couple of times and hopefully <laughs> I'll have the opportunity to, you know, I'm not always there on game days, but so it's, it's little things like that, right. You know, yeah. there's different things that management does or the office staff, what time they come in and how they prep for a game day, what they wear. And so those are all things that I think in the sports world, I mean, it's the world I know the best, but I think rituals are huge, right? They, they get you in the right mindset. They make you feel prepared. They give you confidence. Mm-hmm. I, I love those things. You know, if you have your own rituals, you can always fall back on them when, when things are hard or when things go away. Yep. They're so important. And, and I love watching rituals play out in the sports world. Yeah, no, I do too. And rituals, the science of rituals is interesting because it does bring us some order out of, out of chaos. And so I think, especially in these turbulent times, people are really looking to rituals to, to ground us, you know, and prepare, and it's linked to performance, all those great things. I also think about rituals in my life at home with my kids. You know, one of our family rituals is Taco Tuesday. I know you just had your, your, your second yeah. child. You Fridays. You, oh, wait, what do you do? You do pizza Fridays. There you go. There you go. Now remind everybody and for people who don't know, tell us about, about your family and how old are your kids? Yep. Yeah. So my wife, Jillian and I, we have two kids. I have my son, George, who just turned 
just turned two. He's a leap year baby. He was born on uh, February 29th, 2020. So he just turned two on like February 28th slash March 1st. So we celebrated for him. And then my daughter, Olivia, was just born recently in October, about five months ago. So we just kind of celebrated her five month birthday, I guess, last week. And Yeah. I mean, I can't even believe it when I say she's five months out loud. It's like, it goes by so quickly, but they're, they're great. We're so being a parent is, is just the greatest thing I could ever imagine doing. It's, you know, head and shoulders above any other experience I've had in my life. And just thankful and lucky to have healthy, happy kids. And they're, uh, yeah, they're a blast. And pizza and pizza on Friday. And pizza Friday. Yeah. So we started that like the first or second week of the pandemic, I think back in like March of 2020. And we have committed to it. I swear in two years, maybe we've missed one Friday. We make it at home. So if we're not home or we're not together, obviously we, you know, try to, we do something different or we try to shift it during the week, but yeah, it's, it's, I love it. And now my son's talking a little bit. And so every Friday he's like, we say, George, what are we having for dinner tonight? Pizza, pizza. That's so, well, and he'll remember that. I mean, it, it's part of what, when he, when he thinks back, well, you know, what, what were some of these, you know, building blocks of my childhood? Well, I know that I always had pizza on Friday nights with my family. And then when we fast forward this, when he's a teenager, you'll be negotiating like, okay, George, we're going to have pizza and then you can go to the party. Exactly. <laughs> Is that exactly. so that's what happens, but it, it it keeps you connected, and that's how you know it's a ritual that it feels like something's almost off or missing when you don't have it. So I yeah. love to I love hearing that you already have some family rituals started. Absolutely. Cool. So you also, in addition to your many jobs that you have at the moment, you just became the president of the women's Sports Foundation, which was founded by Billie Jean King. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And what is that? It's, it's, you'll do that for a year? Yep. Yep. It's a year term. Yeah. It's, it's something I'm, I'm thrilled about. The foundation I've been a part of for the last four or five years, I joined as, as kind of an athlete advisory panel member. A couple of years ago, I joined the board as athlete representation and then was just recently named president for this upcoming year, which to work at a foundation started by Billie Jean King, if you're passionate about women in sports and equity in sports, there's uh, there's no greater thing. Wow. Yeah. So what are what are some of your goals, organizational goals, but then your personal goals for the foundation for the year and how can we support you? Just a little background for those that don't know, Women's Sports Foundation, as we said, was founded by Billie Jean King back in the 70s. And, you know, obviously Billie Jean King being just such a champion for social change and equality, she started the foundation to be, you know, an an ally and an advocate and a catalyst for women in sports. And so a lot of what we do at the foundation is really, you know, we exist to enable girls and women to reach their potential in sport and 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 life ultimately we do a ton of research around you know what sports do and how they bring different things into our lives right for young girls whether it's you know physical health mastering skills discipline confidence leadership positive yep. body image like all these things you know we talk about c suite women when you look at that 94% of c suite women played sports at a young age, which is just incredible, right? But not surprising when you think about what sports bring into into our lives. So we do a lot of research like that at the foundation. We do a lot of advocacy work, right? Sometimes we're 
at Capitol Hill, you know, speaking with policymakers about Title IX and, and different policies around girls and women in sport. And then we, you know, have a lot of different programs. We get out in the community, right? We empower parents and coaches and community leaders and give them the tools to increase participation by girls in sports so that they can kind of positively impact their lives and their world. And then we do some, you know, financial assistance to, and grants to, to different athletes and different programs to continue to help, you know, fuel athletic potential really on the field and then, and then off after wherever they're going. So, you know, it's a foundation I, I love being a part of. I wholeheartedly believe in the mission. And then in terms of my presidency, obviously I want to continue to bring athletes into the fold. I want to continue to bring more, you know, female athletes, whether it's those just coming off of the Olympics, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, whether it's like Leah and Sophie and get them involved in the mix and passionate about the foundation. And, and I also want to continue to help obviously being passionate about hockey, continue to help, you know, diversify hockey, you know, hockey is a sport that struggles a little bit with diversity and inclusion when it comes to gender and people of color. And so continue to get more girls and women involved in in hockey and, Mm -hmm. you know, different events, whether that's with New Jersey or with the NHL and bringing hockey to marginalized communities that maybe don't have access to the ice and all the equipment, you know, it's an expensive sport. And and so working on, on those types of things as well, specifically are important to me. Yeah. Well, as you know, one of my daughters plays hockey and it was really formative in, in, in her development. And, and yeah, it's very hard for a lot of these communities to afford all the equipment for that sport. So I think that would be an amazing thing because there's so many kids that don't have access to hockey, you know, and especially girls. And the other thing that just jumped out that you said was the statistic that 94% of C-suite women played sports. I feel like we need to take that statistic and like blow (laughs) it out of the water. Like, I don't think a lot of people know that. And so when we think about you know, when after you're done with the Olympics or getting kids involved in sports and when they're in high school and it's hard sometimes to get kids to stay in it because the academics are kicking in, you know, there, there almost needs to be some PSA, you know, campaign around, you know, stick with your sports. They're giving you so many skills. And by the way, you know, if you make it to this, you know, you have a higher chance of making it to the C-suite. Exactly. I don't know. I don't, I don't think people know that data. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's some of the, you know, the work that the foundation does is doing that research and putting it out for people to see. And, you know, we publish different, you know, reports and and every once in a while, you know, whether it's after an Olympic games and talking about female participation there and, you know, coaches and athletes management, or like I said, yeah, 94% of women in C-suite played sports. And I think if you take if you take that even further, I think it's like 50% or more than 50% played at the university level. So I, yeah, I think we should get a billboard going and, you know, slap that on a couple billboards somewhere for people to see. Cause I agree. That's pretty astounding. Yeah. Yeah. Times square. All right. Well, that's going to be a, we side, a side <laughs> project for us to, to work on together because that's a, that's a big motivator. And the other place to use that data is when we think about, especially just you know, within the world of the Olympics, when all of these people retire, especially focused on the women because of the statistic to say, you know what, you can transition. I mean, you know, Megan, you are in a perfect example of somebody that was able to do it, but, but you are very open and honest about the challenge. It, it's challenging. It's scary. But mm-hmm. I think knowing that, knowing this, this data point at the other end, not that everybody wants to be a CEO or be in the C-suite, but those skills that you have built up are real and are impactful. 
you know, I think that could really lead to confidence in a lot of women. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Really, really cool. All right. So I have one final question. Everybody on the podcast answers this question. And the magic question is, what do you do in your life, Megan, that makes you feel most like you? Great question. You must get some awesome answers from people. Honestly, that has, that has probably evolved over time. Right now, having kids so young, like my kids being so young right now, like what makes me feel the most me is I just, I love being with my kids. Like I was just on the road for a couple of days and I came back today and I had to jump in and jump right into some meetings, but I had like five minutes and I had my daughter in my arms and I, you know, pulled my son away from our nanny and just was like hugging and kissing them both at the same time. And it made me feel better than anything I've done in the last month, just that Mm. moment right there. So I would say for me right now, what makes me feel most me is I love, and I'm so proud to be a mom that I just love those small moments I get with my kids, hugging them and kissing them and making them laugh and smile. That makes me feel the best right now. Oh, I love that. And thank you so much. I mean, after being away for three days and making the time for this interview, I really appreciate it. And I think our audience is going to learn a ton. I look forward to watching you continue to grow in your career and set goals. And oh, actually, one last question before we go. You had that goal, you transitioned, you're at the NHL. Any, you know, do you have another goal, like the five-year goal, 10-year goal on the work front? Anything that we can share that that we'll look for over the next five or 10 years? Yeah. I mean, I, I, like, I, again, like I said, I've, I've always been someone that's set big goals for myself because I think that helps me. And, you know, sometimes they get pushed out a little further, right. Or you fall short and you have to get up and, and do it again. But so I, I would say I love my role so much right now in New Jersey. I'm learning a ton. I have great mentors and I love the, you know, I love the management side of hockey. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if I'm looking to set big goals for myself, like I would love to be a general manager in the NHL someday and certainly have a long way to go before getting there. But I have, you know, great mentors to learn from and ask questions to and who challenge me all the time to to think differently and, and to grow towards that goal. So I would say that would be one for sure. All right. You heard it here, folks. Again. <laughs> going to be a a general manager of the NHL. I cannot wait to see what you do. And I look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Yes. Same, same. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Left Door Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly-ish update on all things human at work, or just want to say hello, email me at erica at ericakeswin.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you soon.